Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And it's a lighter episode today as we talk about some changes coming to the video game landscape. Changes that I think we've been talking about for a while now here in Virtual Legality, but which really came to the fore, especially in my mind, yesterday. And that was as a result of a number of news stories, not the least of which was the launch of Amazon Games' New World. Now, I can't honestly sit here and say that I have played New World. It's a new MMO from Amazon Games that presents a kind of supernatural, colonial thing. But despite its obvious influences from 2019, I kid, I can say that it is very, very very popular. As IGN reported yesterday, New World is already Steam's most played game of 2021, despite server struggles. We'll talk about that as well. New World is already Steam's most played game, even though it's only been out for a day. And not only is Amazon Games' new MMO the most played game of 2021, but its all-time player count peak is also more than 200,000 players higher than Valheim's. And the reason that this jumps out at me is because Amazon is a big tech company. It's not the standard that we think of when we think of big movers and shakers in video games. Now, that standard has been changing over the course of the last few years. Certainly, it's been changing even with those folks that we are used to seeing participate in the video game industry, like Microsoft, which has clearly emphasized its Xbox line of work more than it ever has in the prior two decades and clearly sees Game Pass and Xbox in general as a valuable resource within Microsoft proper. So it's no surprise that the Amazons of the world are moving in this direction. And it's no surprise as well that they're not having a clean start of it necessarily. Now, this is a good problem to have yesterday from New World, from Amazon, where they said, we understand some players are experiencing lengthy queue times and we are working hard on a few things to help address these issues. They're standing up servers. They're allowing people to move between worlds in the next couple of weeks. But the numbers speak for themselves. Over on Twitch, 947,000 viewers are watching New World streams. Perhaps those viewers are watching the game because it's really hard to play the game right now due to its ongoing launch day server stress. About 400,000 players are waiting to log into the game's EU servers. 400,000. So clearly... I didn't realize that there was this pent-up demand for this game, but I doubt Amazon fully realized that itself. Because although we're making this video to talk about New World, Amazon, Netflix, big tech in general advancing into the video game space that has been dominated for so long by only one or two or maybe three, if you're being generous, players, it hasn't been a clean go of it. So I wouldn't begrudge you looking at this video and saying, well, Rick, sure, this might be a success, but it's one day. We don't know if people are going to get rid of it after a month. We don't know exactly whether New World is going to remain popular. MMOs have a tendency to have big, furious launches and then go away. And certainly Amazon itself has had a struggle getting up and running, releasing games. I don't know if you remember, I certainly do. 2020 Crucible, which was designed to be a kind of arena shooter game, was so poorly received, they pulled it back into beta, couldn't fix it, and killed it. Understand, it wasn't released in early access. It was released to the public proper, then pulled back, and then killed. And so, I don't begrudge anybody looking at this and saying, well, yeah, okay, your thumbnail says big tech is moving into video games, but Amazon's had its own difficulties. We don't know enough about New World. Rick, look at Google. 
right? Stadia, we were talking about only last year, focusing on Stadia's future as a platform, winding down their games and entertainment division. We're deciding that we will not be investing further in bringing exclusive content from our internal development team to Stadia. Now, we can talk as long as we want about whether or not you want Phil Harrison running your games and entertainment team anyway, based on past history, and I don't know him, so I'm sure he's a lovely guy to be around, but Amazon, Google, others have had problems breaking into games. Is this the moment in time where we're seeing that change? I would argue that yesterday might suggest that it is, not just because of New World, which I'm looking forward to giving a try to, even though I'm not that big of an MMO player. Certainly a lot of folks are interested in it, but also because as we talked about earlier this year, over the summer, Netflix, which isn't big tech necessarily, but it's certainly a big kind of pop culture force in various industries, is moving into games as well. And we did that whole video. You can check it out on this channel about who's running it, why it might not be as awful as you might think, why they're doing it, how they're driving up the price likelihood of what they're trying to sell with their Netflix packages. And as of yesterday, they bought a company that I really like. We've spent a lot of time in virtual reality talking about the ongoing arms race between Microsoft and Sony, between Xbox and PlayStation, about how Microsoft clearly throwing around a lot of money, Sony taking defensive moves to shore up its own internal development studies. Well, now, if you have entered into the picture the Amazons, the Googles, the Netflixes, and more of the world with, at bare minimum, a big chip stack, a big pile of money that they can throw at these things, that arms race becomes existential. And I think Netflix, who hasn't proven anything yet, really accelerated things by purchasing a small company, but a good one. If you aren't familiar with Night School, they made a game that I really, really loved called Oxenfree. And it's a fairly typical independent narrative game, but it's done with really good writing, a lot of good concepts about how to interrupt dialogue and interesting things. And ultimately, it was that game that got this small company purchased by Netflix, at least as Netflix describes it. It says, we're in the early stages of creating a great gaming experience for our members around the world. So we're excited to announce today, Night School Studio is joining Netflix, founded by Sean Crankle and Adam Hines in 2014. It's only seven years ago. Night School Studio is best known for their critically acclaimed debut game, Oxenfree. We're inspired by their bold mission to set a new bar for storytelling in games. Their commitment to artistic excellence and proven track record make them invaluable partners as we build out the creative capabilities and library of Netflix games together. And depending on how you feel about Netflix, this might be good news to you or bad news. We know that Netflix currently anticipates putting out games as part of their Netflix subscription. We talked in that earlier video about how I think that's likely to ultimately drive up the price of that subscription. So whether or not it's free to you is a matter of perspective. But if you don't like Netflix's output, maybe the same way that you don't like Xbox or Microsoft as a company, this kind of consolidation and this acquisition arms race is starting to feel a little bit constrictive. Right, if you don't subscribe to Netflix, if you don't own an Xbox, they buy up Bethesda. You're not playing Starfield. You're not playing the next Fallout, the next Elder Scrolls. If you really enjoyed Oxenfree, as I do, and don't subscribe to Netflix, chances are you're not going to be playing their next thing. Now, I think they probably already have contracts for Oxenfree 2. I think that's going to be mentioned here in their own blog post. But after that, you're starting to see creative content that you or I might like 
might love even, get bottled up into these various places. And that's totally fine if you're well-to-do and you can buy an Xbox and a PlayStation and subscribe to Netflix and Hulu and Peacock and Amazon Prime and whatever else might be necessary to get all these things. But it is becoming less and less of an independent space. Night School was nothing. They're a small studio. I happen to like them. You might not. But Netflix choosing to show that they're joining the fray in full force is essentially a shot across the bow, right? Night School described it as follows. It says, over the last few months, we've had countless thoughtful chats about our respective visions, ours and Netflix's, for where we see games, storytelling, and our collective opportunity for positive impact somewhere in the middle. Night School wants to stretch our narrative and design aspirations across distinctive original games with heart. Netflix gives film, TV, and now game makers an unprecedented canvas to create and deliver excellent entertainment to millions of people. That's the optimistic side, right? Netflix, regardless of whether or not they make money in any given quarter, and they struggle with that, is somebody that has deep pockets because they've got a lot of investment. They're willing to spend that money. And much like Microsoft buying up the double fines of the world, which while constraining where those games will ultimately appear, definitely added resources to something like Psychonauts 2 in a way that's pretty evident as soon as you play it. It's the most polished game that Double Fine has ever released. And that optimistic side of me wants to say, well, that's good. We've got companies with a lot of money, a lot of resources entering the fray, and Night School's going to be funded to make something amazing that they might not have otherwise. But Netflix doesn't use their unprecedented canvas to make things that I personally like. And so as an aside, an editorial one, that creates a certain amount of concern from my perspective. They continue at Night Studios, Night School Studios, our explorations in narrative gameplay and Netflix's track record of supporting diverse storytellers was such a natural pairing. It felt like both teams came to this conclusion instinctively. Of course, it's a surreal honor to be the first game studio to join Netflix. Not only do we get to keep doing what we do, how we like to do it, but we get a front row seat on the biggest entertainment platform in the world. The Netflix team has shown the utmost care for protecting our studio culture and creative vision. We'll keep making Oxen Free 2. We'll keep cooking up new game worlds. Now, whether or not that means Oxen Free 2 is going to be made available on traditional consoles or PC or just Netflix, we don't know. We know they're working on it. It had a fairly famous, I think, or infamous at this point trailer during one of the E3 setups that I think was just 14 minutes of clouds and lightning and symbols that was apparently for an arg that they were doing. But whether, wherever it appears, I think it's worth noting that we've got Amazon, not traditionally a game maker, making waves on Steam, on Twitch, which, you know, they have a little relationship with Twitch. We have Netflix moving out of solely doing visual content, not just making even the bandersnatches of the world, but actually buying up studios that were making games for everyone on an independent basis, and now releasing those games, practicing with it, soft launching. Yesterday wasn't just a day when Netflix launched a studio or bought one. It's a day that they rolled out five mobile gaming titles in their European markets. It says, like our shows and films, these games will all be included as part of your Netflix membership, all with no ads and no in-app purchases. The company earlier in the day said it had introduced Stranger Things 1984, Stranger Things 3, the game, which I believe is the same one that was released to all of us back when Stranger Things 3, the season came out in 1904 or something, Card Blast, Teeter Up, and Shooting Hoops titles on Android 
to Netflix members in Spain and Italy. They're also adding it to Poland. This is the way mobile gaming generally works is you soft launch it in various places. You test certain things before you release it in some of the bigger markets. Netflix is clearly actually invested in this. Wasn't just a leak on Bloomberg. Wasn't just a press release. Wasn't just the hiring of a single guy. They are spending money. They're spending resources. This is what we saw Microsoft start to do before they started buying up half of the video game industry. So with Netflix in play, with Amazon finally finding success, I do think if you like video gaming, it's an interesting time. Might be a fantastic time in the future, but it's a scary time because it looks like the video game industry is not going to be what you or I might have grown up with. Box under the TV, a couple of major players, you buy something, whether it's a digital now or on a disc or cartridge. Instead, it's going to be something new. A lot of money, which is potentially good, but definitely something new, which is why I'm going to finish off this shorter video with a very interesting Washington Post article, an interview with Epic and Tim Sweeney, who, of course, has made frequent appearances here in virtual legality. And the Washington Post framed this as follows. Epic Games believes the internet is broken. This is their blueprint to fix it. Epic CEO Tim Sweeney and other executives detail their plan for the metaverse and how it differs from Facebook's vision. Again, we're talking about the business of video games here. This is a very long form article, almost a deep dive into Sweeney's thought process and Epic Games' thought process. I will link it in the video. I don't want to take too much of it because it's very well written, but I do want to take a few quotes because it's very interesting to me. It says, the metaverse isn't going to be like the ad-laden news feeds of the internet, says Tim. A car maker who wants to make a presence in the metaverse isn't going to run ads. They're going to drop their car into the world in real time and you'll be able to drive it around. And they're going to work with lots of content creators with different experiences to ensure their car is playable here and there and that it's receiving the attention it deserves. And that's the opening kind of quote to this article, but it's an important one because I think it shows where I personally am not loving the direction that Epic, potentially Netflix, Amazon, these other big brand-based companies would see the process of play go to. We know, having watched Fortnite grow very successfully, Epic deserves all the credit in the world for that, that they have kind of steered into being what amounts to a kind of IP brand franchise flea market where you have Captain America fighting off against the gremlins or whatever else might be in there. I don't think the gremlins are represented in Fortnite, but they might be in the future. And that always comes across to me as a kind of crassness, a crass commercialization that I don't enjoy quite as much. And that might not be fair. Others might. And that's totally fine. I'm editorializing a little bit in this video. But what he is arguing for seems to be the direction that video games in general are heading. It says, The Washington Post interviewed a variety of executives, developers, and stakeholders at Epic Games to discuss its vision for the metaverse. Among a number of these quotes, if the last generation is about sharing, the next generation of social is going to be about participating. And so this entire article, which I'm scrolling through, I highly recommend checking it out, is about setting up a metaverse, setting up a ecosystem that is essentially video games, but that aren't just advertisement, aren't just things that we see on the internet today. And Tim believes Epic is in a great position for this. He says he's a, Epic is a unique company 
because we've always served both the consumer audience and the involver audience. And we've built our business on the synergy between the two. And it's the same position to build an ecosystem once developers and players to kind of be in the same space. But he then complains about a lot of things. The standards aren't there. This is one of the reasons he brought the lawsuit. If you remember us going through Epic versus Apple and the judge's decision there, she was ambivalent towards the existence of a metaverse or whether or not Epic should be allowed to create one, certainly through the force of law. And so Tim Sweeney here, responding to that kind of line of questioning to the Washington Post, says, okay, well, those legal issues might not be solved in the way that they otherwise could be. I think the real force that's going to shape the metaverse into an open platform is what? The power of play? What you want to do? How you want to have fun? No. The power of all the brands to participate in it. You're going to have hundreds of industries entering this, each one cognizant of the need to protect their brand. I think that's going to be the ultimate checks and balance system in a way that it was not in the social media revolution. I think that's going to lead to very robust development in the way the internet was. That's the last quote given by Mr. Sweeney in this article. But if you're anything like me, you look at this as something that sounds almost dystopic. Well, the function of the metaverse, the future of video games, at least as Epic sees it, at least as Tim Sweeney sees it, is going to be run by a cadre of brand managers that are trying to make sure their stuff looks good and maybe that other stuff looks bad, but that it's all going to work together because they want to sell you cars or energy drinks or things along those lines. And that's the distinction to me between, you know, the night schools of the world before they're owned by Netflix and making a game because they want to make a game and they want to tell a story and what a lot of these companies are seemingly driving to. Amazon, hey, they want to show off their server infrastructure, somewhat ironically, uh, and their technological prowess, but they want to get involved in games, right? They own Twitch for Pete's sake. Netflix wants to get out of just making passive entertainment because they fundamentally would appear to agree with the philosophies espoused in the Washington Post article that says this next generation and the generation after that doesn't want to do passive things, wants to interact. But all of these forces are moving towards a world in which it's the brands that control the experience, where you're not just drinking energy drink. You're not just using a health pack, but instead you're drinking monster energy. You're using Band-Aid brand Band-Aids to help yourself out in whatever game you're playing. And to me, personally, editorially, I think there's something lost with that. I prefer the Disney World rides that aren't based on other things. I prefer the Haunted Mansion and Pirates of the Caribbean. Yes, now commercialized all up to Wazoo, but when they were originally created, they were original. And that's all within just one ecosystem at Disney. Now we have a situation where I think we're losing that kind of originality. And while I am very eager to see what more resources and more money and more participants can do, I do believe in competition and having these forces fight it out. I worry that the arms race between Microsoft and PlayStation is not that, that it's an arms race now between a whole lot of even better resourced companies that don't have experience in gaming and may just see potential money as Tim Sweeney sees it, something that brands can utilize as people try to play and entertain themselves. This has been a 
more editorial version of virtual legality than I was expecting. But if you enjoy these conversations about the business and future of video games, pop culture, and the things that entertain you, please consider supporting the channel. We've got a Patreon, other ways to support listed in the description of this video, or otherwise, just subscribe. Upvote, downvote, tell your friends we're having editorial conversations about the future of gamings in small podcast forms on occasion. Every little bit helps. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.